Good morning, everyone. The New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hello everyone. It's lovely to see you. I really enjoyed the crisp cold air this morning. I'm looking forward to winter. Let's see if I say that in three weeks time. Uh, you should have got a little outline as you came in. Uh, hopefully that'll be helpful for the note takers and for those who don't want to get all the passages down as we go along. There's a few to look at uh, as we go along. So if you didn't get one, I presume it's at the door. Uh, and why don't I pray? Simon may have prayed, but I turned up just in the nick of time today, so we'll pray again. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you as we come to your word. We, we do pray that you'll help us to stop. Help us to rest today from all the things that trouble us in the rest of our week. Help us to hear you clearly. And Father, we give you great thanks that your word is a word of grace to us that speaks of the rest to come. And we pray as we hear today that we'll be encouraged to hold on to the truth that you are bringing us into your rest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with a chocolate bar trivia competition. Uh, there's no prizes. You'd think this would be the perfect day for chocolate prizes. Sorry, no. But let's see how we go. Need a break? Have a Kit Kat. Well done. Snickers? Really satisfied. Mark Schroeder is like two from two. Boom, boom. Milky Way, the sweet you can eat between meals without ruining your appetite. I think you have to be a certain age, maybe, to know that one. Mr. Schroeder didn't know that one. Uh, Amaza Day. Amaza Day keeps the doctor away. That is, that is not right. Amaza Day means the doctor will be at you all the time. Amaza Day helps you work, rest, and play. Some people said that. Work, rest, and play. You notice the theme? There's a chocolate philosophy. The, the chocolate manufacturers want to give us rest. They want to recharge us. They want to refresh us. And they kind of do. I love a chocolate. You probably love a chocolate. I, I don't mind a midday Milky Way to keep me going. But... If you've ever had that, if you've ever had a nana like my nana who used to say, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, then you know it's temporary, right? It's a temporary pleasure. Today we need to think about true rest because there is a deep human need for rest. The chocolate bar companies are just tapping into the real need 
We need rest. Life is full of toil. Life is busy. Is this what we are for? Busyness and an industry all the time. Well, let's have a look at this command. The fourth command, Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. How do you remember the Sabbath day? By keeping it holy, we're told. Uh, that holy word, it means set apart. It means clean. It means distinct from those things around you. God is holy. And God wants his people to be holy. Now, the Sabbath day in Israel was a focus of distinction for Israel, a day that was separate to the rest of the nations, a day that showed that they were the holy people of God, a day for rest. Uh, indeed, the word Sabbath comes from a verb that just means to rest, to stop. It, it's literally resting. So verse 9 explains, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So in Israel, for everyone, as the rest of the verse goes on to say, it's a pattern of work six days, rest one day. Work six days, rest one day. It's not business as usual every day in Israel, which it was for many of the nations around them. It's a day of Godward focus, a day of space for the Lord, a day of resting from what you normally do. Now, why should we do this? Why does God want it? What, what does he tell us? Well, I think there's two answers in the two different expressions of the Ten Commandments. So if you've noticed as we've gone along, we've been reading the Exodus Commandments and the Deuteronomy Commandments. They're almost identical. But in this command, there's two different reasons given, which are both true. Uh, the first reason from Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 is what I'll call the creation mandate. Uh, from creation, here is why we should do this. Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, from creation, God made this pattern. He worked six days, creating for six days. He rested. But of course, if you read the account, there's a bit more to the story. Uh, if you read the account, he gets to the seventh day and he rests, but, but where's day eight? Where's Monday morning? When does he go back to work? Well, it, it seems that day seven is where he ends up. We're in his rest, and, and Adam and Eve, in his rest, live in relationship with him, enjoy the creation. They don't put their feet up, they work, but in a good way, doing good work in God's rest from creation. But he's only rested, God's only rested from that work of creating. Because if he had given up on sustaining, we wouldn't be here. So God rests from creation, but he's working in sustaining and all, all the things that God does. So even for God, rest is not going to the beach, putting your feet up, and that's it. Rest of my day is just hanging out. That's not what God is doing. And thirdly, that's a picture from creation. The fall changes everything when it comes to rest. Before the fall, humans live with God. Humans walk with God. Humans are in relationship with God in his rest. When the fall comes, we're out of the garden. <laughs> we're out of relationship. 
that direct, intimate relationship. We're not in God's rest. We're in a broken world where death and toil is reality. The world changes with the fall. And so the Exodus version of the fourth commandment reminds us of the creation mandate, but we have to remember the fall changes everything. We live in an age of toil at the moment. Indeed, the story of the Bible is humans at rest with God in relationship, doing good work, in the fall, in that era, and God rescuing us so that we can then be at rest, doing good work with God again in eternal life. It's the whole story of the Bible in a, in a nutshell, with Jesus at the centre. So there is this Sabbath commandment mandate in creation. God set it up, we should do it in response. But of course, reality is the fall. And so in Deuteronomy, if you noticed, there is a different mandate. It's actually a redemption mandate in Deuteronomy. Do you see it there? In Deuteronomy, it says that they're to keep the Sabbath because God redeemed them from slavery. Different reason. So Egypt, where they were in slavery, God pulled them out of slavery, saved them to be a people, and brought them to the promised land. That is the reason you should keep the Sabbath, he says the second time around. That is a helpful thing for us because it's a pattern for us. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt building pyramids or whatever you, they were doing. We are in slavery to sin. In this age, we are in slavery to the world. When you go to work, you know you toil. We are in slavery in this life. And it is God that breaks the cycle. It's God that redeems and restores us to our proper creation purpose. So because God is a redeemer, we should keep the Sabbath. We should keep a little picture of our eternal reality and our created reality. So in the Old Testament, we have the commandment and we have two reasons for it, from creation and from redemption. And that's helpful for us as we, as we think through the command today. Uh, we're up to the third point on your outline as we go along. The third command, uh, the, sorry, the fourth commandment, the third point the Israelite people and the Sabbath commandment. I want to pick up just two examples. One is before the commandments are given, the other after. So Exodus 16, 23. The Israelites are wandering in the desert. They're on their way to the mountain where they'll get the law, but they're not there yet. They're wandering in the desert. And if you're in the desert, you're hot, you're thirsty, you're hungry. And God says, everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. And so the people rested on the seventh day. That is absolutely not what I would do if I'm stuck in the desert. I presume it's not what you would do. Go to the Simpson Desert, spend six days wandering around, and then take a break in the desert. It's not what you would do, right? This is quite an astounding thing that even before the command comes, God wants them to exercise the pattern because it's from creation and it's from redemption. And so God wants them to trust him. They have to trust him for food. They have to trust him for water. They have to trust him to survive another day in the desert. If you know the story, God sends manna, God provides, but they had to learn it through trusting him. Uh, then the second example is from later after the commandment, Exodus 31. God says to his people, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy 
You see in the second one, there's the redemptive reason once again. The Sabbath reminds God's people that he is making them holy. God makes us holy. So keep the Sabbath to remember that God makes you holy. Keep the Sabbath to remember God makes you holy and show others that you are holy and distinct as God's people. Two examples. Uh, There are lots of others that we could pursue in the Old Testament. Uh, I love how God's one in seven pattern sort of filters out as a pattern for lots of things. Uh, Leviticus 25, for those who are farming amongst us, make Leviticus 25.3, make it a principle that one in every seven years you rest the land. There you go, it flows out. Or Leviticus 25.8, one in seven again, this time do your one in seven years, but once you've done seven lots of seven, you've got to 49 in the 50th year, reset everything. The year of Jubilee, one of the great notes of grace in Israel's history. God said, there's not going to be generational poverty here. There's not going to be generational rich and poor. Every 50 years, bang, you all go back to your ancestral lands and you start again. You're in slavery, now you're out of slavery. What a wonderful gift. Again, the one in seven turns into seven times seven and is the pattern that is followed. There's lots of examples where God's good pattern of seven or one in seven, is expressed in the Old Testament. We don't have time to chase them all through today and and see how they all work out, but I think there are two key principles. Uh, The first one is, out of the creation mandate, out of redemption, the Sabbath is an opportunity for trust. The Sabbath is how God's people actively trust him as we were created to be in relationship with him, to stop, to be different, to trust him at his word that we can do this, it is right, and it expresses his will. And the second thing is rest, actual physical rest, acknowledging that we live in a world of toil. It's a gift of grace. For a redeemed people, we can actually stop. We can actually be different to the nations around Israel who worked and worked seven days a week to build their barns or whatever it was. God is full of grace and he set a pattern for his people for rest. So trust and rest. Now, historically speaking, this has worked out as a great kindness to us today. I don't know if you ever thank God for your weekend. There is an expression, thank God it's the weekend. I think it's being used in the kind of commandment three way often when people say that, but there is an expression and it's true that God gave us the weekend. It just took a long time. So if you know the history of it, uh, back in the first century, the Jewish historian writes, the masses have long since shown a keen desire to adopt our religious observances. And there is not one city, Greek or barbarian, nor a single nation to which our custom of abstaining from work on the seventh day has not spread. So the Jewish way, the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, spread out in the nations. So that Josephus, 2,000 years ago, says, great, we get a day off, all of us, and it comes from God. Uh, a couple of hundred years after that, when, uh, when Emperor Constantine was in charge, he said, right, Sunday is a day off officially in the Roman Empire. And that stuck for a long, long time. Uh, all the way along, the Christians had been gathering not on the Jewish Sabbath, but on Sundays, the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, And Constantine just reinforced that practice. It wasn't actually until the 19th century that things changed. 
Uh, and it changed for not the greatest reason. Uh, British workers, particularly coal miners, were getting so drunk they couldn't turn up for work on Monday and work properly. Obviously, there were accidents happening with drunken men down mines, and so they made it official that you got an extra half day. Tools down, Saturday, middle of the day. That meant they could go home and get drunk and then be okay by Monday. Not the greatest reason, but it went from one to one and a half in the 19th century. Uh, and then it was the, actually the Great Depression that made Western countries say, oh, for the sake of labour, we need to have more time off, and the two-day weekend became a thing. Less than 100 years ago, there wasn't a two-day weekend. Thank God for the weekend. And thank God that it's actually from his command through history that this has kind of evolved into what we have today. A gift of grace to the world, even if the world doesn't appreciate it all the time. But putting all this aside, the important question for us as Christians is what does it mean for us today? So I want to think about, firstly, Matthew 11 uh, and then some implications. So the Lord of the Sabbath. Come with me, Matthew 11. A little after Jesus had said he's not come to destroy the law but fulfill it, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does he mean? What does he mean when he offers rest? Well, the first thing he's doing is speaking into a situation. Uh, there were Pharisees teaching that the Sabbath command had about 134 particular rules for keeping it. There's all sorts of rules. Uh, they categorise those rules into 39 categories to make it easier for a modern-day Jew to even understand all the rules. Uh, so do not pick up a mat is actually a rule. When a man picks up a mat at Jesus' command to pick up a mat, they're saying, you're breaking the Sabbath. Uh, eating on the Sabbath day, preparing food, that is breaking the Sabbath, according to the Pharisaical rules. Matthew 12 gives an example where Jesus' disciples are just walking along on the Sabbath day. They're hungry, so they want takeaway. They look around, there's no KFC. They can't purchase on the street, and so they just walk into the fields and they pick some grain and they crush it up in their hands and they just eat it. Takeaway first century style. Probably not that nice, but kept them going. The Pharisees see this and they say, hey, you've broken the Sabbath. You've broken the law. You are ungodly sinners. Imagine the burden of that. Imagine living that. I don't want the Sabbath. It's not thank God for the weekend. Please, God, no weekend. I don't want a weekend because I'll just fail. That's the burden they were under. So Jesus' first lesson, as he spoke to the Pharisees here, is you're not under this burden. Come to me for rest. And he fleshes it out. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You imagine that? God says, well, I want to create. I want to create a Sabbath. So what I'll need is to make the Sabbath day and the world. And the human. Then I'll make humanity so they can keep the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath is for man to rest and refresh and rejoice in their maker. They turned it upside down. Indeed, Deuteronomy 23, 25 even says, you can pluck grains in the field as you're walking along. Fancy that. You're just not allowed to take your sickle to the grains. Fair enough. So the Pharisees had set a law that wasn't even the law and put a burden. Jesus says, come to me and find rest. 
Of course, he speaks to us as well as a secondary application of that. But in the end, true Sabbath rest has to be found in Jesus. True Sabbath rest is coming to the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, let me sort of explain that in a couple of examples. Now, the first one is gathering as God's people is actually a part of obeying a Sabbath rest. Uh, let me explain why that's true. In the Old Testament, God's people to keep the Sabbath day holy, to keep this day holy in their week. But with Jesus, the picture is fuller, isn't it? The picture of who we are is, is just bigger. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. We've been made holy by Jesus. We are different because we've been made different by Jesus. We have to keep the Sabbath to show it. We are fundamentally different in the Lord as his people. But in God's wisdom, we see that most clearly expressed when we come together. When the church is meeting together, it expresses the unity that comes in the gospel. It expresses God's holy people gathering. It expresses a trust that is different to the world. That's why Jesus says when two or three gather in his name, he's with us because he's made us a people to gather. And we're told in Hebrews 10, don't give up meeting together as some do and they're throwing away their salvation potentially as they do it. Gathering together is a physical expression of our reality forever in eternal life. We are the gathered people of God who will live in his city forever. So church is a part of our Sabbath rest. It's not that we rest and the church is a separate thing to that. It's a part of it. Church should be a place of spiritual recharge, a rest place, a refreshment place, a, a restart place. I, I would love to think we come and gather together and encourage one another and then can go back into the world of toil again refreshed in the Lord for another week. And so it wouldn't be right for Christians to say, I'm too busy to be in a church. Because actually, no, God has given you rest and commands that we gather together expressing the very rest he's given us. And it wouldn't be right for us to be workaholics because that would say, I don't trust God enough to take a break from my work. By gathering together in churches, we're saying, like the Israelites, Despite what the world might think, we trust our God. He is good and right and graceful and has a plan for us to live in his rest. We're not the first generation to struggle with living this out. <laughs> you wouldn't be surprised. The English Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, in 1849, he wrote this, and I love this quote. Remember this if you are ever offered a situation on a railway, if you're ever offered a job on the railway. It's not enough to have a good pay and a regular employment, the confidence of the directors and the best chance of rising to a higher post. These things are very well in their way, but they're not everything. How will your soul fare if you serve a railway company that runs on Sunday trains? What day in the week will you have for God and eternity? What opportunities will you have for hearing the gospel preach? I warn you solemnly to consider this. It will profit you nothing to fill your purse if you bring leanness and poverty on your soul, beware of selling your Sabbath for the sake of a good place. It's a great line, don't sell your Sabbath. Now I'll get to the particulars of is it a particular day and so on in a moment. He was in a particular context. But his point is right, don't sell your Sabbath. Don't load up your life so you can't have time to meet with God's people. Don't load up your life so you can't rest properly in him and just physically. 
Don't rob yourself of the benefits that we have in our rest. That's the first example. The second one is physical rest is a necessity. Physical rest is a necessity. We live in a fallen world, so our bodies need rest. And as much as chocolate bars give you that moment of energy and powering on, they don't give you the deep rest you need. The truth is we need to physically recharge. That's, that's who we are. We're people. And intentionally taking rest shows you trust God to recharge. It says, I'm not the Messiah. If I stop for a day, the world won't fall apart. I'm not God trying to sustain the universe. I can have a break and trust God to recharge. And ironically, I have to tell myself this a bit lately, I need to stop for a day. I haven't been as faithful as I should be in taking a day off, particularly in the, last, in the first couple of months here. I'm not the Messiah. <laughs> None of us are. And we need to make sure that we are being faithful to God as he gives us this rest to recharge in a fallen age. But laziness is not the answer to that. And you might say, well, if I do nothing, I'm really faithful to the command. That's not what God wants. Proverbs 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. That's true for Christians today. We live in an age of urgency. There is lots to do. That's why we feel the pressure of it. We live in an age where Jesus could come back tonight. We need to be ready. We could come back in 100 years. We still need to be ready. This is not a time for literally putting up your feet and giving up. This is a moment of working and serving for the Lord. Now is the time, though, to rest intentionally. So we want to rest, but we want to do it intentionally for its purpose. Rest so you can keep serving. That's its purpose. Rest so you can be a faithful worker. Rest so you don't wake up grumpy and be ungodly day after day. Uh, as a personal testimony, when, when I became a Christian, one of the things that really bothered me early on, uh, apart from some of the obvious things, was that I had lots and lots of hobbies. I'm interested in lots of things, and I, I used to express that by filling my life with things, burning myself out to some extent. I became a Christian, and I had all this other thing I was doing, and I treated it like just another hobby, and I fit everything in, and I can do it all. didn't make me a particularly gracious and growing Christian. It actually made me quite bitter. I don't have enough time for this thing, and this thing, and this thing, and I had to repent. Uh, it took a few years, but I had to repent and deliberately choose to rest on the few things that actually gave me rest rather than the many things that left me just unsatisfied and grumpy. You may not be like me, but that was something I had to do to be intentional in my rest. Maybe for you, it's not binge watching the whole series. So when you wake up in the morning, you are unbearably ungodly. Maybe for you, it's like me once upon a time when I used to play cricket all Sunday, all Saturday. I leave my wife home with two little kids, then three little kids, off to cricket. This is wonderful, I'm refreshing, it's great, I'm doing what I want. It wasn't good for the family, it wasn't good for Heather, and it wasn't good for me being tired and grumpy when Sunday came around. Uh, for those with young children, it's really important you rest, right? That is one of the busiest times of your life. It's hard. So if you're married, you need to make sure you care for each other to have rest so that you can actually be godly and have time with God and all these things. And if you're not married, if you're a single parent, then I really do hope that church can be a bit of a refuge for you. But as a church, we look out for people in that situation so you can have some rest from time to time. Look after people's kids. Give people a rest so they too can get what God wants us to have, which is physical rest. 
Thirdly, oh, sorry, I'll finish that one to say intentional rest, I think, shows you trust God. So thinking about how you rest, why you rest, who you are, intentionally resting shows you trust God in this. Uh, thirdly, don't be a legalist about the Sabbath. The Sa Pharisees turn the Sabbath in the worst, into the worst day of the week. You can't keep it. How could you possibly? And Jesus slammed them for it. It would be a shame if Christians turned the Sabbath back in to a burden. It's not what it is meant to be. There are some churches that make a point of being Sabbatarians. Uh, usually that's Saturday or Sunday. There's different versions of that. And that's okay for churches to make that call if there's a body of believers that want to. But it's not what the Bible says you have to do. <laughs> we have much more freedom than saying, right, church must be this or must be that. The truth is God's word doesn't demand a particular day. So the Jews rest on the seventh day, the end of the week after six days of work. Christians, right from the start, have rested on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, because that's resurrection day. Rest on the new life day rather than the end of the week day. Uh, Paul had a practice of meeting the first day of the week as early as Acts 20. Uh, earlier than that, Christians met every day. So if you're wondering what the rule is, well, I suspect the best rule is meet every day. If you can't do that, then work it out after that. By 110 AD, common Christian practice was Sundays. But again, no set rules. And so our Wednesday 9.30 church is a church. It's not a lesser church because it doesn't meet on a particular Sunday. It's a church. If you miss the Sunday church, go to Wednesday. If someone at Wednesday misses on Wednesday, come to Sunday. You can kind of catch up as you go along. So don't be legalistic about it. And that means there's all these questions we all have that I'm not going to answer. Do I have to take a day off? A whole day, I mean. Do I have to take 24 hours off? Can I take more off? Can I take less off? Can I split it across the week? Could it be a different day and not a Sunday? Could it be a Wednesday? We're under grace, not law, in these things. Hear the principles to rest, to take time to trust God. Physically and spiritually, rest from what you do in your trust. There is a good principle in God's word. The one in six principle, one in seven principle is a good principle. Maybe that is a good pattern for you. But there are some people who feel rested after about three minutes and just want to do, I need to go and do something. There are other people that need two days. Know yourself so that you keep the Sabbath well. The Sabbath includes praying, taking time to read your Bible. You do that every day, I presume, not just on a Sunday. How much rest do you need? Are you giving yourself time for God? Those are the questions for each of us to ask ourselves. And you'll know in your heart if you are not serving the Lord with all your heart and so actually being a bit lazy, having too much rest, or you'll know in your heart if you're working too hard so there's no time for him. That's something each of us need to work out as we live our Christian life. Which brings us to the fourth and final heading, uh, well, example really for today. The true Sabbath is yet to come. Uh, Hebrews 4 has this great line, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have been found to fall short of it. In other words, true rest is to come. And we don't want to be in a situation where we get so caught up in this world, we miss the true rest that is to come. It would be a mistake to hear Jesus saying to you, come to me, I'll give you rest and expect heaven on earth. 
That's not what is promised by his rest. He certainly gives us many things that we can rest in. Now, what does Jesus give us right now? He, he gives us assurance of salvation. He frees us from false religious burden. He frees us from serving idols. He gives us hope and confidence that we can take a break in this world. We're not slaves under a burden. There are many things that are a part of our rest now, but we still live in a fallen world and Jesus hasn't come back. And so heaven on earth is not a thing. Only when the new earth comes in will it be true. God is growing his church and so we need to remember this age is what that is. God is continuing to work and we're a part of it. Sometimes people will say to me, I came to Jesus and he didn't give me the rest I actually wanted. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. We don't tell God what rest he should give us. He tells us and gives us the true rest we truly need. Part of that is now, part of that is into eternity. So to bring it all together, the Sabbath command, it's an excellent principle, an excellent picture of grace. It's something to keep in your Christian life, to come together and rest with God's people in God's word, spiritually refresh, wonderful thing that we should be doing to take physical rest for yourself, to stop and trust God. That is Sabbathing. It's not the command, it's following the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's actually what we need to do. Follow the Lord of the Sabbath and put your trust in him. And as we follow him, never forget, eternal rest is to come. And that is a wonderful hope. Don't fall short of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great grace there is in the gospel of Jesus. We thank you that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath has been given for us. Help us to rest rightly. Help us to intentionally rest from our weariness and toils in this world. Help us to take time in trusting you and rest spiritually in your word and in relationship with you. We pray that you'll help us to make wise decisions this week as we follow up thinking about this commandment in our own lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.